More Zodiac Myths Debunked. Popular accounts of the Zodiac story often include misinformation and myth, resulting in confusion regarding the actual facts of the case. On September 27, 1969, the Zodiac attacked a young couple at Lake Berryessa, north of Napa, California. Victims Brian Hartnell and Cecilia Shepard were stabbed many times. Park Ranger William White was one of the first people to arrive at the scene, and he waited for the ambulance to transport the victims to the hospital. Brian survived, but Cecilia died two days later. During a television interview, White said that the attacker had announced his intention to stab the victims and that Brian had even asked to be stabbed first because he did not want to see Cecilia being killed. The guy told him to take the money. He said, I don't want it. He says, all I want to do is kill you people. I have to kill you. The boy asked him, said, you really mean that? He said, yes, I mean it. He says, uh, well, he said, if you're going to said, kill me first because I can't stand to see the girl be stabbed. He said, well, I'll do that. So he started stabbing the kid in the back. Brian Hartnell stated that the killer never announced his intention to stab or kill the victims. In fact, he promised that he would not harm them if they cooperated. According to Brian's account, the victims had no warning. The first inkling I had was when I was on my stomach and he just kind of paused and he put away his gun. And I think I turned my head down and the next thing I knew is, I just remember, frankly, I think, being stabbed. I don't even remember if I saw an arm in motion, perhaps, but I mean, it wasn't like all of a sudden he pulls it out and leers and I'm going, oh God, don't, you know, it's none of that. I mean, there was no time for any thought, reflection, sniveling, or otherwise. White's version of the attacker's words and actions would be repeated for decades. Brian Hartnell adamantly denied that he had asked to be stabbed first, and he refuted White's account when I interviewed him more than 20 years ago. In an effort to provide a possible explanation for the statements attributed to him by William White, Hartnell speculated that the ranger may simply have been mistaken. You know, if those words passed my lips, it had to be as a muse. If a person were to be attributed those words, it would be in a context as, probably it's a good thing he stabbed me first because I would not have wanted to watch it happen. So in a sense, I suppose I could muse, well, gee, I'm glad he stabbed me first because I'm a chicken. I sure wouldn't want to watch that happen. Most people could not imagine any circumstance in which they would willingly ask to be stabbed. And even Napa County Sheriff's investigator Ken Narlo found the account difficult to believe. When I was talking to Mr. Hartnell, without me even asking, he said, you know, I don't know where this came from that I asked to be stabbed first. And, you know, I read it where White said that he said that. He said, if I said that, that was me telling that guy what I was thinking at the time, not what I said to the man. Because he said, you know, who would ask to be stabbed first? 
they thought that was kind of odd too. He's being very cavalier about it, or or maybe he was trying to save uh, Cecilia. That's what White probably said in a television interview or something. Yeah, well, he did say that on TV the, the very next day. Because I can't stand pain, I can't stand to see her stabbed or something like that, so the Zodiac supposedly stabbed him. And we thought, well, she's not being awful stupid or awful brave, I don't know what you did. Another persistent myth claimed that Cecilia Shepard had been stabbed more than 20 times and that the killer had carved a crossed circle symbol, the sign of the Zodiac, into her flesh. This falsehood first appeared in an article written by San Francisco Chronicle reporter Paul Avery. Avery wrote, The girl died of more than 20 wounds inflicted. The knife fell again and again and formed the mysterious symbol, like the crosshairs of a gun sight that has come to be the Zodiac's hallmark. This inaccurate account was later repeated in the best-selling book Zodiac, written by Chronicle cartoonist Robert Graysmith. Ken Narlow debunked this myth. My recollection, yeah, I think that's, that's on the autopsy report. Then there was some story going around, some satanical group might be involved because first stab wounds were in the shape and form of some. Brian Hartnell also dismissed this claim. He's not sitting there doing a ritualistic marking. He's just trying to kill her. Cecilia Shepard was not stabbed more than 20 times. She was stabbed five times in the back and five times in the front. And the killer did not make any attempt to carve any symbol of any kind into her body. In the days after the shooting at Blue Rock Springs Park, surviving victim Michael Majot told police that the sound of the gunshots seemed muffled, as if the gunman was using a silencer. The statements given by a victim can be reliable and useful, but the combination of trauma, confusion, and other factors can often hinder a victim's ability to accurately recall certain aspects of the event. The sound of a gunshot can be deafening, especially at close range, and the first shot can often cause a ringing in the ears of those within close proximity to the weapon as it discharges. Victims of a shooting often report that they did not hear the sound of the gun firing or that the sounds were somehow muted or muffled. These witnesses often report having heard the sounds of bullets passing by their ears and penetrating people or objects nearby. Bullets traveling close to the ear can create a sound that is similar to the sound of a silencer. Victims of rapid gunfire are often mistaken when attempting to recall the number or sequence of shots fired during a crime, and they frequently provide accounts that are in conflict with the known facts. According to Majot's statements to police, he was sitting in the passenger seat of a parked car 
when a man approached from behind with a bright light. Majot said he heard a muffled sound and felt a pain in his back and his neck. He then heard more muffled sounds, which he said resembled the sounds made by a gun with a silencer, and then he felt more pains in his body, his back, and around his neck. As he attempted to flee to the back seat of the car, Majot said the gunman kept shooting again and again. Majot stated that the suspect then shot Darlene Farron again and again before walking back to his own vehicle. Majot cried out, causing the suspect to return and shoot Majot two more times, once in the back and once in the left leg. The suspect then shot Darlene two more times and then casually walked back to his vehicle and drove away. The first shot, which caused pain in Majot's back and neck, entered the right side of his neck, just below his right ear, then traveled through his jaw and exited from his left cheek. This shot was fired from a position directly behind Majot and to his right. The shot and the wound it instantly caused would have been sufficient to diminish Majot's ability to hear. Majot's position inside the vehicle may have made it difficult for him to hear the shots fired outside the vehicle, especially after he moved to the back seat. The chaos and fear created by the sudden attack could have added to Majot's inability to recall every shot or every aspect of the event. Majot later admitted to reporters that his memory of the shooting was more an impression than an accurate account of the crime. These combined factors cast doubt on Majot's statements concerning the killer's possible use of a silencer, but the statements of one witness prove that Majot, like so many victims traumatized by violent crime, was mistaken. George Bryant lived with his father, a groundskeeper, in a small house located in Blue Rock Springs Park, not far from the scene of the shooting. On the night of the crime, Bryant was lying in his bed, unable to sleep. According to his statements to police, he reversed the pillow on his bed and laid on his stomach and looked out the window. Bryant told police that he could hear laughing and a few firecrackers, but he couldn't see anybody. At approximately midnight, Bryant heard what appeared to be a gunshot. The police report notes Bryant's comment that the gunshot was, quote, much louder than any of the firecrackers. A brief pause followed the first shot, and then Bryant stated that he heard what appeared to be another gunshot. After another short pause, Bryant said that he heard rapid fire of what appeared to be gunshots. He then heard the sound of a car leaving the scene at a high rate of speed. When compared with the statements given by Michael Majot, it seems clear that George Bryant heard the gunfire that wounded Majot and killed Darlene Farron. Bryant stated that he heard gunshots at the exact time the shooting occurred. The distance between the scene of the shooting and Bryant's bedroom window is such that he would not have been able to hear the sound of a gunshot fired with a silencer but he could easily have heard the sound of a 9mm pistol firing several times, and 
distinguish between those sounds and the sounds of the firecrackers he had heard earlier. Bryant said that he also heard laughter at the same time he heard the firecrackers. In his interview with police, Majot said that three cars pulled into the parking lot shortly before the shooting occurred. Majot said he heard some laughing and carrying on, and a few firecrackers were set off before the three vehicles drove away. George Bryant said he heard one gunshot, then after a brief pause, he heard another shot. He said this second shot was followed by another pause and then rapid gunfire. Majot told police that he heard a muffled sound and then felt pain. He then heard some more muffled sounds and felt more pain. According to Majot, the suspect then fired at Darlene several times, walked away, returned, and fired several more shots into the vehicle. Both Bryant and Majot provided similar accounts. A sound, a pause, a sound, a second pause, and then several more sounds. Majot said that the sounds were muffled. Bryant said he heard what appeared to be gunshots that were louder than the same firecrackers both he and Majot had heard. Majot was sitting in the car with the radio playing when he was surprised and instantly shot in the neck by a man holding a gun near Majot's ear. Bryant was lying on his bed in a quiet room, listening to the sounds outside his window. The event left Majot severely traumatized. Bryant calmly reported to police what he was able to remember less than 24 hours after the shooting. Michael Majot's wounds, the proximity of the weapon, his position in the car, the sound of the radio, and the surprise element of the attack indicate that Majot's ability to accurately recall the shooting was less than reliable. Bryant's timing of the gunshots, the mention of laughter and fireworks before the shooting in corroboration with Majot's statements, the sequence of the shots, Bryant's proximity to the shooting, his ability to distinguish between firecrackers and gunshots, and the fact that he was not directly involved in the shooting or confused at the time, indicate Bryant's recall of the events of that night was more accurate than the account provided by Majot. The Zodiac did not use a silencer at Lake Berryessa, despite the fact that he was committing a crime in daylight at a scene frequented by other people. It would seem unlikely that he would therefore choose to utilize a silencer while committing a crime at a quiet lover's lane area at midnight. Michael Majot's memory of muffled sounds is understandable given the circumstances, but the statements of George Bryant and the evidence indicate that the Zodiac did not use a silencer during the shooting at Blue Rock Springs Park. Director David Fincher explained his use of a silencer in his recreation of the crime for the 2007 film Zodiac. Fincher said that the silencer was, quote, in the police reports. The actual reports simply repeated Majot's original statements that the shots seemed somehow muffled 
as if the killer had used a silencer. However, the same reports also stated that a witness, George Bryant, had heard the shots that night. Fincher tried to justify the use of the silencer by saying, while some witnesses had reported hearing gunshots, other witnesses had heard firecrackers, which may have been mistaken for gunshots. George Bryant told police that he had heard the sound of firecrackers prior to the shooting, and that he then heard the sound of gunshots. With the exception of Michael Mageau, George Bryant was the only witness who claimed to have heard firecrackers, and he was the only witness who said that he had heard the gunshots. Fincher's comments were curiously unfounded, and his attempt to justify the inclusion of the silencer may be a minor issue, but serves as an example of the overall apathetic view taken when addressing the factual nature of the film. In 2007, I was asked about this issue during a question-and-answer session at the premiere of director John Mikulenka's documentary film, Hunting the Zodiac. The silencer at Blue Rock Springs is a myth. I suppose you could say, as it's portrayed in the movie, that it was just a silencer that didn't work very well. Um, because I swear you could have heard those gunshots in San Francisco in that movie. Um, George Bryant was a witness who was there at the park that night, and he came forward to the police the next morning and said, I heard what went on last night. I heard some people throwing firecrackers and laughing and stuff, and, and there was a pause, and I heard some gunfire, what sounded like gunfire, and that gunfire was a lot louder than the firecrackers I just heard, and there was another pause and more gunfire, and then I heard a car drive away. Michael Majot was interviewed a few days later and told the same exact story. Now, George Bryant was 800 yards away, 800 feet away from the crime scene. You can't hear gunshots 800 feet away with a silencer on it. Unless it doesn't work. Unless it doesn't work. <laughs> Author Robert Graysmith claimed that he had discovered a hidden road which led from the crime scenes to the home of his suspect. The author theorized about the route the killer used to escape from the scene of the shooting at Blue Rock Springs Park. On page 425 of his book Zodiac Unmasked, Graysmith wrote, To avoid being trapped, I believe Zodiac took a small road just off Columbus Parkway. So hidden, I had to make an abrupt turn to reach the road. It led me in a straight line into the heart of Vallejo. At the end of 24 blocks, I arrived at a familiar doorstep, the home of Arthur Lee Allen. In June 2003, several Zodiac researchers traveled the streets of Vallejo in an attempt to locate the road Graysmith described, but they were unable to do so using the information provided in his book. Telephone requests for assistance from the author went unanswered. Further research proved that Graysmith's Phantom Road does not appear on maps from the 1960s or today, 
And in fact, it never existed. Graysmith may have been confused about Vallejo geography, as researcher Ed Neal explained. Ed, you and I, along with many others since the publication of Graysmith's book, have attempted to locate this road with no success. Would you like to tell us a little bit about your efforts to find that road? Well, after having read this in the book, I thought, all right, I need to go out and have a look at this. So I went out there and had a look, and there's really not too many roads that basically intersect Columbus Parkway. The only one that seemed to fit his description was Tennessee Street. Tennessee Street is well-marked, easily accessible, and wouldn't even come close to what I would think of as being hidden. So the only conclusion I can draw is that Graysmith was somehow mistaken or confused or maybe he made this up. I don't know. Or creative. Yeah, basically. Now, one thing that I noticed in looking back over Zodiac, perusing the book again just this afternoon, his map, plate one, in that infamous first photo section after page 108, he shows the killer's route from Blue Rock Springs. Shows him coming down south along Columbus Parkway and then making a right and driving west on Tennessee Street. Now this would have to be the same road that led to Allen's home, would it well, not? Yes, it is, because if you follow these directions south on Columbus Parkway and then west on Tennessee, you will eventually end up at Fresno Street. You make a right, fourth house down on the right-hand side is 32 Fresno, where Allen lived. Now, this description that he gives of this hidden road sounds suspiciously like Tennessee Street. Why would he say on page 425 of Zodiac Unmasked that this road was hidden? The well, road can't be that well hidden if he found it back in the 80s and has a map of it in his own book. Well, exactly. So why he says here in Zodiac Unmasked, page 425, to avoid being trapped, I believe Zodiac took a small road just off Columbus Parkway, so hidden I had to make an abrupt turn to reach the road. That, uh, like that's, I'm sorry, that's not Tennessee Street. You, there's no abrupt turns to make. There's, you know, a left hand, a right-hand turn lane. It's well marked, easily accessible. I mean, the sign is there; you can't miss it. So there's something going on. It sounds like he's gotten rather. Um, yeah, creative in his storytelling here. There's no roads that intersect with Columbus Parkway that meet that description. That's so well hidden where you have to make an abrupt turn or you'll miss it. There's nothing like that in that area. In 2003, we visited the set of the film titled In Control of All Things. And on the wall of their set was a vintage period map of Vallejo. And all of us examined that map in search of that road and were unable to find one. <laughs> Quite right. In 
fact, the interesting thing about that map, as I recall, Tennessee Street didn't even join up with Columbus Parkway, but the map was dated, I believe, 1959 or something like that. It appears that the road went all the way through by 1969, however. The description of the road that he gives doesn't match any road on Columbus Parkway. Or in Vallejo. Or in Vallejo that I know of. <laughs> the hidden road is a great <laughs> myth. <laughs> Unlike most myths, it didn't need years of being cultivated. It was just created and put out there. Um, Robert Graceman claimed that there was a road that led from the crime scenes directly to Arthur Lee Allen's house. And I don't know if this is some kind of bat cave road that just opens up when he needs it or whatever. <laughs> but there is no such road, no such road ever existed, and Robert Graysmith knows that. The many popular myths about the Zodiac mystery have created an alternate history of the case. But, as usual, the facts tell a very different story. Zodiac A to Z Written and produced by Michael Butterfield Produced for ZodiacKillerFacts.com <laughs>